All right, here we are. Well, at least I'm here, and Corey's here, Michael, um, and you're at home. I wish I could say it's good to see you, but I trust that it. I trust that you're doing well and having a good Fourth of July weekend. The last several weeks, we've been exploring some very important and very relevant topics that we have seen in God's Word, and many of them have just unfolded in our study through Genesis. And it has been amazing to see how God has actually lined these things up with what we're going through in our world, and they've been so important for how we walk through these days, right? We talked about going from victim to victory. We talked about what it looks like to be a meek person. Pastor Joe shared last week about resisting temptation and what Joseph went through. And this morning, we're looking at the fact that there is purpose in the pit. There's purpose in the pit. Have you been in the pit? The pit is is a deep, dark place of inconvenience and pain and misery and injustice and unrest. Pits come in all different shapes and sizes, don't they? They take the form of financial hardship. We've noted that time and time again. They take the form of of illness, maybe of a medical condition that the doctors either can't figure out or, or just can't take away, even with all the technology, all the science that we have these days. Maybe it takes the form of of migraine headaches, or bouts of depression, or insomnia, or maybe someone very close to you has turned on you, they falsely accused you, they won't forgive you, they can't stop reminding you of that thing that you did, or at least the thing that they think that you did. Pits sometimes look like lost jobs. They look like pay cuts. They could be when bosses just seem to be be making life miserable. Sometimes pits take the form of, of things that we want, things that we need, things that we wish we had but don't. A, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a child, peace in your family. Or the ability to celebrate freedom freely. We could go on and on. Sometimes life just feels like the pits. And you know what the pits are. You've been through some of them. Maybe you're going through one right now. Isn't it true that those times when we find ourselves in the pits of life, that the thing we want more than anything else is just to get out, just to get out. Everything else just takes a back seat to that. Even those things that we know that we're supposed to do, well, we just, we just got to press pause on those for just a moment so that we can get through and, and this time and get on with the things we know we're supposed to do. I do this all the time. I've got to get this done first. I've just got to get through this difficult season. I've just got to get through this stressful time or this discouraging situation. Or I've just got to pass this test or get past this project or finish this semester. Or I've got to get over this illness or get out of debt. I've got to get rid of this pit. I've got to get out of this pit so that I can get on with my life and then I will do the things that God wants me to do. To do what am i supposed to do 
Well, we know, according to Ephesians 2, that those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus Christ, that we've not only been saved by grace through faith, but we also know that we have become God's workmanship, right? And we have purpose. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We know that when we first trusted in Christ Jesus, that we were not only given new life, but we were given purpose as well. It's, it's the purpose for which we were created at the very beginning, right? Only fell away from. But now Christ has brought us back to that purpose, and he has empowered us to actually live it out, to do it. We're here to bring glory to God as we walk, as we talk, as we eat, as we sleep, as we work, even as we play. God's glory, it should be the byproduct of everything that we do. We know that we're also here to bring good to others as we proclaim that good news of Jesus Christ and as we help build each other up in him. That's what we call making disciples, having a purpose. It's a really great thing. We know what we're here for. We know what we're supposed to do. But in those inconvenient, those intolerable moments of life, when we find ourselves in the pit, we're, we're tempted to say something more like this, aren't we? God, I'll, I'll get right to that. I'll get to that as soon as you can get me out of this mess. Doesn't God understand that? Doesn't he know that his job before anything else is to get us unstuck and out of trouble and on our way so that we can be free to do the work that he's called us to do? Actually, that leads us to another question. Does God equip us for service so that we can serve only in the easy times? If you spend any time reading the Bible, you'll quickly come to the conclusion that the answer to that is definitely no. I mean, even in our study of Genesis, we've seen time and time again how God's people, they don't always have it easy. In fact, it seems more often than not, at least the events that we see in here, they are going through tough times. And we see how it's during those rough patches in life that their trust in God that their ongoing faithfulness and obedience, that's what God desires of them. Living on purpose, that's, that's not just something we're supposed to do when life is easy and everything feels right. You know, children of the king, they don't just represent him when the sun is shining and the birds are singing and the meat is on the grill sizzling. No, they bear their royal, their royal identity, and they live out their calling even when the sky goes dark, even when food is scarce, even when the enemy is at the gate. God wants his people to trust him when the future is uncertain. He wants us to obey him when life is inconvenient. Remain faithful when it would be a whole lot easier to compromise and serve with purpose when we would much rather be served 
ourselves. But that's a whole lot easier said than done, isn't it? A whole lot easier said than done. When we find ourselves in the pit, so very often, the only thing that we can think of is getting out. Joseph was in a pit. He was absolutely in a pit. Think about it. He was victimized by his older brothers. He was stripped of his special coat. He was literally thrown into a pit, then sold to slave traders, sold again to a wealthy Egyptian official. Then he was entrusted with all of his new master's beholdings, in charge of everything. But then, falsely accused by, his, by, by the seductive wife of his master, then cast into prison. Which, by the way, in Genesis 40, 15, Joseph calls a pit. Joseph was in a pit. If anyone had any reason to feel sorry for himself, to check out, to demand some time off, and get discouraged, it was Joseph. Joseph. Remember the dreams that Joseph had when he was 17? Those two dreams. The first, he was gathering some type of grain with his, with his brothers, and they were, they were making these sheaves. And then all of a sudden, all his brothers' sheaves, they started bowing down to his sheaf. Oh, that's interesting. Then there was another dream. The sun, the moon, 11 stars all bowed down to Joseph. Can you imagine how exciting that must have been. What an incredible thing. Joseph, because of these two dreams, he had high expectations for life. He had high hopes. He was destined for greatness. God had big plans for him. He was going to be somebody. But there he was, falsely accused and left to rot in an Egyptian jail. So much for those dreams now. So much for dreams of greatness. What a joke. And his family is going to bow down to him? Are you kidding me? I don't even know if, where my family is. I don't know if I'll ever see them again. I don't know if they're even still alive. At this point, Joseph's life, it looks a lot more like one of those lives that's just a sad story of crushed dreams. Let's see what happens in chapter 40. Verse 1 says this. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his, and his baker committed an offense against the Lord, the king of Egypt. Now, let's just stop there for just a moment. We don't know exactly how these two men offended Pharaoh. But being the two people that were responsible for the food that he ate... They would test these things out. They would make sure that they were safe for the Pharaoh before he drank them, before he ate them. Being that that, 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 that was their role, then we have to think that maybe the king got sick. Maybe he ate something that made him feel funny. Maybe he got deathly ill. We don't know. We don't know if one of them intentionally tried to poison him, or maybe it was just some type of a mistake. But verse 2 does tell this, us this loud and clear. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And Joseph was made responsible for these two prisoners. 
even though Joseph was a prisoner himself, because the Lord was with him, we read in our last chapter, he excelled everywhere he went. Even in prison, the warden recognized there's something special about this guy, something different about Joseph. He was impressed by him, so he put him in charge of all the other prisoners. Verse 4 says this, the captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. And they continued for some time in custody. So for Joseph, even in this pit, even in prison, there was purpose there. He had purpose. It wasn't much. It wasn't the most glorious of jobs. In fact, it was probably a rather dirty job. But at least he had something to do. Have you found yourself in a low place doing a job that was far beneath you? I'm sure Joseph could have thought to himself, you know what, forget this. We're done here. This isn't the life that I was meant to have. Taking care of filthy criminals? I was meant for greatness. For greatness, I was meant for glory. People were supposed to bow to me. And now I'm stuck in this pit. And where's my coat? Where is my coat? He could have had that kind of attitude. I doubt any would have, anyone would have blamed him for it. But Joseph doesn't have that attitude. No, that's because even in the pit, Joseph knew that he had a greater purpose. The Lord was with him no matter where he was. He knew that. So no matter where he was, he knew that he was to be about the Lord's work. No days off. No vacations. The Lord is with me. I'm doing the Lord's work. You see, Joseph had a purpose in the pit. He was entrusted to care for all the other prisoners, but he knew that he had a far greater purpose, an underlying purpose that was far more important. He was there for God's glory, and he was there for the good of others. Last week, Pastor Joe said that in many ways, who Joseph was and how he behaved, that gives us a picture of who Christ was going to be. Here Joseph was, believing that one day he would be lifted up to this high position, but where did he find himself? He found himself in the deep darkness of the pit, and he served the lowest of the low. Remember Philippians? It tells us the same thing about Jesus, though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now Jesus, he went freely into the pit, he went to serve. He went to give his life for the sake of others. Joseph didn't choose to go into prison. But when he got there, he didn't hesitate to take on a Christ-like position of humility and serve others. You see, it didn't matter where he was or how bleak his circumstances may have been. He walked with purpose in each step. 
He lived in such a way that God might be glorified and good might be brought to others no matter where he was. When you find yourself in difficult moments, in those pits of life, are you living with purpose? Let me rephrase that. Are you living out God's purpose for your life? Or are you so consumed by the desire to get out of the pit that everything else gets put on hold? Joseph lived with purpose in the pit. Look at verse 5 with me. And one night they both dreamed. They both dreamed. The cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt who were confined in the prison. Each one his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we've had dreams. We've had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. And I don't think it should come as any surprise that the cupbearer and the baker had dreams. Our minds do all sorts of strange things when we're in stressful situations, don't they? And, and the times when I've been under stress, those are usually the times when I have bad dreams. I have nightmares. But as we'll see in a moment, these weren't nightmares. There weren't any spiders crawling on their faces or clowns chasing them around with axes. And yet they were still troubled. Why were they troubled? Well, it said they're troubled because there's no one to interpret our dreams. Dreams meant something in ancient Egypt. Egyptians believed that sleep was this time when the mind was able to connect with other worlds and when insights into life could be revealed. Glimpses into destiny could be captured. And so they took dreams very, very seriously. They even created a sort of science out of interpreting dreams. The, the, the ancient Egyptians and the Babylonians, they were known to have compiled what they called dream books. And basically how they did this was they, they took note. Every time someone had a dream, and they wrote down all of the different elements of the dream. And, 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 and they, they considered them as potential symbols, right? And so animals may have meant one thing. Clouds meant another. And, and numbers and shapes and actions, they all had significance. And they would record all of these things down and connect them with the individuals that dreamed them. Then they would watch. They'd wait and see what events would then take place in these individuals' lives. And, and as things started happening, maybe someone you know, gave birth to a child, or maybe someone came into a lot of money, or maybe someone went to prison, or maybe someone had a good meal. Whatever it was, they now tried to link the different elements in those dreams to those events, then wrote it down so that when other people would dream dreams later on, they could go back and look at the books and say, oh, here's what an eagle means. Here's what falling in a pit means. This is what's going to happen to me in life. And they were able to master their dreams, in a sense, and really have confidence in what these dreams would mean. 
you can imagine how valuable those dream books were. You got to have them. I, I dreamed a dream last night. I got to go to the books. I got to go to the professionals. I got to get this interpreted. Too bad for these guys. Not only were they in prison, but now they're dreaming dreams and they have no access to a professional interpreter and they have no access to these dream books. What are we going to do? What do these mean? And they were stressing out of their minds. Do you know anyone who's stressed right now? They're caught in a period of history where Danger lurks around every corner where the wisest of the wise can't seem to agree with one another, where the certainty that they once thought they had of the future, that just kind of vaporized, and answers are just in short supply, at least answers you can really have confidence in. And maybe you're right there with them, They're sitting in the same prison, feeling frustrated, feeling isolated, exasperated, caught in this endless spin cycle, no clue as to when it's going to stop. And it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to get down. And yet if you've placed your trust in Christ, even though you're in the same boat, you're living in the same world here, experiencing so much of the same things that are common to us all, you don't do so without hope, do you? You have hope. It's important for us to see that Joseph's trust in God, that hidden hero that we talked about several weeks ago, that transformed the darkness of the pit into a field ready for harvest. We know that Joseph wanted to get out of prison. Who wouldn't want to get out of prison? And we'll see that in just a moment. But because he knew that the Lord was with him, even in the pit, he was going to be about God's business. He was going to be working in God's field. I'm just working in this corner of the field now, where before I was over in this corner of the field, the work is the same. Jesus told his disciples that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. I think that the tragic thing for so many of us who find ourselves in difficult situations is that the darkness of the pit it hinders us from seeing the harvest to be gathered. There's, the harvest is there. It's out there. But the workers are all calling in sick. The strain of the moment or the circumstances that are, that are so difficult for us, uh, we, have, we look at and have a hard time seeing as opportunities to give God glory and bring good to others. And so, we get so focused on the pit itself that we miss our chance to care well for others during that time and point them to their one and only hope. Joseph was in a pit. But that didn't stop him from caring for others. Notice, he was the one who was sensitive to their distress, wasn't he? They were troubled, yes, but they were minding their own business. Joseph comes in, he sees their distress, and then what does he do? He asks them about it. 
Sometimes the hardest thing to do when you see someone in trouble, someone in need, someone really, really hurting, is to go ask them about it. To go, to go freely get up in their business and now take their troubles upon yourself. Oh my gosh, now it's so inconvenient for me. Now maybe what's this going to cost me? How is this going to change my day? How is it going to impact the rest of my week? I don't know. But Joseph, he was sensitive to their trouble, and he goes and asks them about it. And then when they share what's so troubling with him, he points them to God. The end of verse 8. He says, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. He knew that their dream books were not the answers to their problems. He knew what the answer was. It was God. Even though he had been through so much and had seen so much hardship in his life for so many years, he still believed that God was in control. This is amazing. It had been 11 years since he left his family, since he had those dreams. One pastor pointed out, 11 tumultuous years without a word as to whether his family was alive. 11 years of dressing like an Egyptian, speaking their language, and never meeting another believer. You would think that Joseph's circumstances, those that would have been telling him, God has abandoned you. He's forgotten you. Maybe you should look somewhere else for help. Or perhaps you should forget, at least forget about doing the things that God wants you to do and start doing whatever you need to do to just get by and just get out of this mess. Then you can make up with God, and you can figure things out, and then you can get on with your life and doing what he wants you to do. He could have given up on those dreams that he had way back when, when he was 17. But when the cupbearer and the baker show their trouble to him, he immediately points them back to God. His faith in God it was so strong that it had this integral part in his life. And so when he saw their trouble and he heard their problem, he doesn't skip a beat. He doesn't skip a beat. It seems like he almost instinctively, immediately, and unashamedly fires back with, you know what you guys need. Let me, let me tell you what you guys need here. You need God. You don't need these dream books because God is the only one who has the market on dream interpretation. And these guys, they didn't know anything about this guy. They probably went, what, huh, what, huh? I know, we need our book. We need the professional. No, 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 you need God. How strange that must have been to them. What's your gut response when people share their problems with you? Do you point them immediately to their one and only true source of hope? Or for whatever, for whatever reason, are you inclined to problem solve? and help them figure out some type of other solution. One pastor wrote, what people do in reflex is very revealing of what is within. Joseph's response, it spoke loud and clear that he believed that the Lord 
was with him. Not only did he believe that, but his awareness of God and his reliance upon him, it was like an automatic reflex in his mind. It was his first response. It was his gut reaction. Even in the deepest, darkest pit, God was the ongoing, trustworthy, readily available solution to life's problems. The ship was burning, and as it slowly started slipping beneath the, the bubbling, foaming waves of the sea, you began to hear the cries out there, the, the people crying for help as you sat in the safety of your empty lifeboat. And the first thing you, you said was not, hey, hey, guys out there, can you hear my voice? Keep looking around. I think there might be a life preserver over there. No, you didn't say that. No, you told them, hey, come over here. Give me your hand. Get in the boat. There's room. It's safe. I am floating. You point them to their one and only source of help. I love examples of Christians in crisis. There's so many stories, but one is my friend Bob. Bob had a cardiac event, sent him to the hospital, and he was in need of, of desperate need of emergency surgery. I guess not too much of an emergency because it was a, a day or so before they actually performed it. But nonetheless, he was sitting there, laying there in bed, waiting. And I came to visit him expecting to see a man who was just discouraged Here's a man who had experienced so many discouragements in life. I, for years, I, I, I spoke with him over and over again, trying to help him get a job in his old age and, and find housing and all of these different things. And now he's had this cardiac event and he's lying there in bed. How discouraging. As I walked in, I ex expected to see just anguish. But what I saw was just the a giant smile and a glowing face of a man who believed that God had put him in that specific bed, in that specific room, on that hospital floor, in that particular hospital for the reason of sharing with the nurses, the doctors, and other patients the hope that they could have in Jesus Christ. That man was in God's field, and he knew the job that he had. He knew his purpose, even when he was in the pit. Do you? The cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. Joseph tells him that the dream meant that in three days, you're going to be out of here, and you're going to be back, right back by the Pharaoh's side, giving him his juice going to be great. Great day. God had empowered Joseph to interpret that dream. He, he, and Joseph relied on that power to meet the needs of this man in distress. As you look around to see the needs of others, are you actively thinking about how God might use you to meet those needs? Even in the ways that you don't feel like you have the resources to provide for them. But hey, you trust God. You know that God can do anything. And so you're there, ready and available. And stepping out in faith, let me help you. 
Joseph didn't want to be in prison. After he interpreted that dream, he asked the cupbearer, I imagine he pleaded with that cupbearer, when you go back to Pharaoh, when you're serving him, that cup, remember me. Remember my story. Please tell him. I need to be out of here. Joseph wanted out. There's nothing wrong with that. The other guy in prison, when he heard that the dream was interpreted, verse 16 says, he said to Joseph, hey, I also had a dream. Joseph listened to the baker's dream, and then he interpreted it. Unfortunately for the baker, the outcome wasn't going to be quite as favorable as the cupbearer. Joseph tells him in three days, you're going to be beheaded. Your body is going to be hung on a tree and the birds are going to eat it. Oh, happy day. (laughs) Apparently, this guy was the one who was guilty of trying to poison the Pharaoh. Maybe. Look at verse 20. Here's what happens. On the third day, when the Pharaoh's, which was the Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Pharaoh had interpreted, or as Joseph had interpreted to them. What an incredible thing. What an amazing thing this must have been for Joseph to see that God was still working. Here he was. He's still there. He's still in control, still enabling Joseph to correctly interpret dreams. And seeing God work like that must have been so encouraging to him. It must have strengthened his faith. It must have given him renewed hope that maybe God is going to come through on those dreams that I had so many years ago. Maybe this was the moment. Maybe this was how God was going to bring it all about. Surely the cupbearer was going to remember me. Surely he's going to tell Pharaoh of the, the amazing thing that Joseph and his God did. He'll tell of my sad story here, and Pharaoh will set me free. Maybe this is the moment where I'm out of prison, and I'm on to bigger and better things. But then we have verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. That's the end of our passage. Even though he remained faithful to God, even though he lived with purpose, even though he used his gifts and pointed others to God, there was no magic formula to get out of the pit. He would wait there another two whole years before that would happen. He didn't know it, but God was putting the finishing touches on a man who would later save God's people from famine and protect the way for the promised one, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Are you in a pit? Remember that even in those difficult seasons, those discouraging circumstances, even when life feels like it's just dragging on and on, or 
maybe you thought you were taking some steps forward, and now you're right back to where you were before. There's no sign of things getting better. Remember, you have purpose. God wants his people to trust him when the future is uncertain. Obey him when life is inconvenient. Remain faithful when it'd be a whole lot easier to compromise. And serve with purpose when they'd much rather be served themselves. There's purpose in the pit. If you've placed your trust in Christ, you're here for God's glory and the good of others. You've been especially equipped to do just that. Are you actively looking for opportunities to point others to the hope you have in Christ? Are you sensitive to their suffering? Are you making yourself available to meet their needs? Are you using your gifts to serve? Even though you'd love to find your way out of the pit, are you praying that God might use this time so that you can demonstrate your faith in Him? And you can show others God's faithfulness. Let's let's live every moment, even the difficult ones, knowing that the Lord is with us. And as we do, Let's live with purpose, giving him glory and bringing good to others.